2: Welcome to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Here's your host, Jason Davis.
3: Good morning, everybody. Happy Wednesday. Welcome into Soccer Morning right here on WorldSoccerTalk.com. Big, big day for you in the soccer world. U.S. Men's National Team Game Day. Mexico Game Day. Gold Cup semifinals tonight in Atlanta. We'll get to that momentarily. Also on this program, very excellent guest. It's been a while, but Manuel Vett footballgrad.com will join us. We'll talk to him about some issues coming to the fore again in Russia. And that's racism. It continues to be an issue in the Russian Premier League. The latest incidents involving Emmanuel Frimpong, Hulk, the Brazilian striker talking about the regular racial, racial abuse he gets playing in Russia. How will this impact anything going into 2018? We'll get Manuel's take on those issues uh, in just a couple of minutes. In the meantime, we do have to line up our headlines this morning. Again, ahead of a U.S. Men's National Team game and a Mexico game and a Jamaica game and a Panama game and everything happening in the Gold Cup. Had some results from last night. We start in the U.S. Open Cup. Two results from Tuesday night or Tuesday afternoon in the case of the Philadelphia Union beating the New York Red Bulls on penalties at Red Bull Arena McCarthy in goal for Philadelphia, the hero. Big stops for him in penalties. And the Union move on to the semis. Big gut shot for New York, considering that they put out a very strong lineup in that game and probably thought uh, they would be able to win it at home. Remember, this game had a bit of controversy surrounding it in light of the scheduling issues. The Red Bulls had put a International Champions Cup-friendly between PSG and Fiorentina uh, on the schedule on uh, when on Tuesday night they played this game in the afternoon because they play Chelsea tonight at Red Bull Arena in another friendly. The other quarterfinal matchup that happened on Tuesday, Sporting Kansas City beats Houston 3 to 1. They were down a goal. They came back. Luis Garrido with a red card for the Dynamo and the 10-man Dynamo could not overcome Sporting at Sporting Park. That is Sporting's ninth consecutive win at home. That is an insane record. They are unbeatable in that stadium at the moment. You have the Chicago Fire hosting Orlando City Soccer Club tonight in the last quarterfinal. The winner of that match will take on the Philadelphia Union in the semis, while RSL will take on Sporting Kansas City. Gold Cup, as I mentioned. USA-Jamaica, 6 p.m. Eastern Time in Atlanta. The United States with their most difficult challenge to date in the tournament. Lots of talk out of Jurgen Klinsmann and the U.S. camp about not taking the reggae boys lightly. They absolutely should not. There's also a very excellent profile of Giles Barnes over at SI.com by Grant Wall that you should read. His winding road uh, to MLS, to the Houston Dynamo, and to the reggae boys. Mexico-Panama is the second game, 9 p.m. Eastern. Giovanni Dos Santos has been ruled out of that match through injury. This is a a challenge for Mexico, just as it is for the United States. If we're going to see that final that everyone expects to see, Mexico-USA in Philadelphia in a couple days' time, then Mexico's got to overcome Panama as well. FIFA has told Crossfire Premier, the former club of one DeAndre Yedlin, to take their concerns to the Dispute Resolution Chamber of FIFA. This is where uh, FIFA uh, adjudicates issues within the football world. This is from uh, you Bird over at SI.com. After initiating correspondence with Spurs, Crossfire alleges that MLS prevented the club from receiving its due payment and that U.S. soccer would not intervene. FIFA has told Crossfire Premier to take its case against Major League Soccer and the U.S. Soccer Federation for solidarity payments to the governing body's dispute resolution chamber. And they, they, uh, they suggested this in a letter to Crossfire Premier. We acknowledge the receipt of your correspondence and have noted you deem that Crossfire Foundation is entitled to a portion of the solidarity contribution, FIFA said in its letter. The body, uh, the body competent to hear disputes relating to the solidarity mechanism between clubs belonging to different associations is the dispute resolution chamber. Part of the issue here is that there is a Uh, a significant cost to go into the DRC. The usual stip cost was one major sticking point that prevented Crossfire from taking its case to the Resolution Chamber immediately. But the letter from FIFA states that bringing this case would cost no more than 5,000 Swiss francs or just less than $5,300 right now. The club previously believed it would be on the hook for 25,000 francs or $26,000. We'll see how this plays out. This has been an issue we have tracked here at Soccer Morning over the last couple of weeks, and could have major ramifications on the structure of youth soccer in the United States, especially as it relates to pay to play and the like. Remember, at heart, uh, at the heart of this issue is also the the problem of pay uh, to play, play to play. The fact that DeAndre Yedlin's parents likely paid significant funds to Crossfire uh, Crossfire Premier for his soccer education, and therefore it seems as though Crossfire is looking to be, be paid twice. Uh, for the development of DeAndre Yedlin. It's uh, it's uh an interesting uh, story that continues to develop and we'll keep an eye on it as FIFA has told Crossfire to go to the Resolution Chamber. You had a couple of those International Champions Cup ICC things last night. Barcelona beating LA Galaxy uh, 2-1 in front of 90-something thousand people at the Rose Bowl. No Neymar, no Messi, but Barcelona obviously still of immense quality. They beat L.A. You had Gerard and Keane in the first half, and then they switched from the Galaxy. They basically turned over the whole team, put in a bunch of kids who acquitted themselves fairly well. Uh, you, you obviously had uh, the Galaxy getting a goal. That came in the second half. Bradford Jameson played relatively well. You have Lassiter, who is a, a Galaxy player uh that is i believe the son i need to check on this because i didn't pull it up this morning ariel Laster, right uh the son of a uh, u.s international roy lassiter uh he is a costa rican player has played for both the costa rican u20s and the U.S. u 23s he signed with the galley galaxy 2 in december he's 20 years old and a player to keep an eye on is he and several others, other, others of his teammates did uh, acquitted themselves fairly well. Lots of enthusiasm, not cowed by the moment, not cowed by the stage. Interesting fallout from the FIFA corruption probe, a friendly between Brazil and Argentina planned for the United States in September has been canceled. The head of the company handling logistics for the Argentine national team told the Associated Press on Tuesday that the match has been called off as the two Argentine businessmen who, businessmen who own Full Play, a sports marketing company which had rights for the friendly, remain under house arrest in Argentina after being indicted in May by the U.S. Justice Department. You're going to see more of this. You're going to see more of these friendlies, which are being put together by organizations, by companies uh, that have been pulled into the indictment, canceled, put on hold. We're clearly waiting on the fate of the 2016 Copa America Tournament, Copa America Centenario set for the United States. Do not know as of yet if that will happen. Uh, we will keep an eye on that one as well and hopefully we get some news in the coming months. Let's take, let's take a break. When we come back, we'll talk to Manuel Vett from FootballGrad.com about some of the issues plaguing Russia when it comes to racism. Emmanuel Frimpong on, on the end of it this time. Don't go anywhere. Soccer Morning, WorldSoccerTalk.com You're talking too loud This Saturday, Barcelona and Manchester United will play in front of a sold-out stadium of 68,000 fans in California. For those of you who, like me, won't be at the game, it'll be live on television. But for a different experience, I'd like to encourage you to watch the game on TV and then listen to me live on Rabble.tv at the same time. With Rabble.tv, here's how it works. After you tune into the broadcast on TV, press the mute button and then head on over to Rabble.tv to listen to me sharing my opinions and observations. With Rabble, you can listen to my broadcast on your desktop, through your iOS app, and now through your mobile browser. So far this summer, over 3,200 of you have listened to me on Rabblecast. If you haven't checked them out yet, this Saturday would be an ideal opportunity. Plus, you can join in, too, by posting your questions and observations in the comments section. With two of the biggest clubs in the world battling it out in Santa Clara, who will get the win? Find out this Saturday, July 25th at 4 p.m. Eastern with me on Rabble.tv.
2: Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk
3: with Jason Davis. Here we are back on Soccer Morning on a Wednesday. Diving into some Russian football topics with our friend Manuel Vett from footballgrad.com. He's on the line with us now. You can follow him on Twitter at homo Sovieticus. Uh He is there talking about these issues. Uh, Manuel, how are you this morning?
4: Uh, I'm all right, Jason. How about you?
3: Uh, I'm well. Um, it's It's... This is not good circumstances to, to speak with you under, uh, but I, I think this deserves some further exploration. And uh, recently, um, we've had some of these racial abuse incidents in, in Russian football that seem to happen entirely too often. And, and more importantly than the incidents themselves is the reaction. Uh, first, outline exactly what happened with uh, former Arsenal player Emmanuel Fringpong, who's now at uh, at UFA, I believe. Yeah, he plays with FK Ufa.
4: Um this was a game for her first first uh day of the season in the Russian Premier League. Um so he was racially abused by um a set of Spartak fans from the stands and um react, reacted by uh both swearing at the fans and um showing them the middle finger and then uh was was sent off uh as a result of that was sent off by the referee. Um Of course, uh, at first you didn't you didn't quite understand why he was reacting that way, but this all of that came out later. So, um yeah, quite quite sad. First day of the Russian Premier League season, and we right away have the first case of racism uh, in the league uh, once again.
3: Now I don't know exactly the timing, but these uh, this incident comes right around the same time that that Hulk, the uh, the uh, Brazilian striker of Zenit st petersburg has uh, made some public comments that this happens all the time he says almost every game he faces racial abuse is there any response at all within russia and specifically russian football over these incidents
4: um i think you know what you sort of see now is that they're starting um to have a re- like the russian football is starting to have a response i mean this has been going on for years um, I've been recently to Russia to, um, speak about this issue at a conference organized by the, the fair network. Um, and some of the numbers that were, were brought up, um, at this conference were just staggering. Uh, last season, halfway through last season, they had 99 incidents of racism. Um, so this is, this is pretty much every game or every week, isn't it? And, um, so it, it keeps coming up and keeps coming up. And um, last season, I think because of some of the reports that were uh, emerging and because Russia is coming closer to um, hosting the World Cup, what you sort of see now is that the Russian football union is at least responding to these uh, these problem cases, that they at least are starting to punish uh, fans and clubs um And the the newest thing that you see is that a lot of fans are speaking out. You know, the average fan goer, the ones that are not ultra, that they are saying, well, we don't really want to have this in the stadium. Um, The one thing that I'm, of course, wondering is, is this due to uh, society really realizing that right. um they're having a major problem? Or if that is just the case because, um, you know, the World Cup is coming around and they're worried that, this might have um, an effect on how FIFA will treat this, these incidents. So, but at least, you know, um, there, there's dialogue now starting, but it's just, it's just sad that every game, something is really happening.
3: Certainly. And it needs to be, it needs to be addressed. Is, is the cynical view that this is a results based sort of response that, Hey, we have to be careful here. We have to fix our, our, our problem or we need to address our problem because. Of the World Cup in 2018, because of what FIFA may do to us, is, is that does that matter to you right now, or is any progress good at this point?
4: Yeah, yeah, it's it's difficult, right? Because I I think a huge part of it is um, because of the World Cup, and I mean, on the one hand, yes, any kind of progress is good. The, the fact that people are acknowledging, hey, wait, well, there is something wrong with us. Uh, there is something. Wrong you know how we treat foreigners playing in um in our league um playing football for to entertain us really and um you know so there is that the awareness is starting um at least that's a good thing I'm just sort of wondering sometimes if it's for the wrong reason, and what comes on top of that is this um the sense that a lot of it is that they themselves feel victimized by Western media, um, sort of saying, Well, look at the bad Russians and look at how racist they all are and um sort of trying to deviate some of the blame um and trying and to like sort of state that it's been put out of proportion, that it isn't as bad as it is. Um so you have, on the one hand, the acknowledgement; on the other hand, you have this automatic reflex to say, "Well, it isn't that bad," and it, it, it's like, it's only being criticized because we are hosting the World Cup. So it's kind of, I I I think it's great that they're acknowledging it for somewhat, but I wonder sometimes if it's, if it is for the wrong reasons.
3: Uh, there, you know, there's a lot there's a lot of things at play here. Uh, you know, a lot of a lot of, of elements of the way Russia relates to the rest of the world, certainly to the West, and, I guess I guess what I need to know from you, Manuel, is whether or not Russia's society is dealing with these issues head on or if this is only viewed for the through the prism of of football, and I guess some of that relates to how homogeneous Russian society is right now and, and whether or not that element can be you know separated uh, d- divided from the rest of general's Russian culture
4: yeah it's difficult because there's so many elements in, at play in russian culture right and it's such a it's it's a very multicultural society um because of it's soviet legacy it's also um, a society that differs from um the way people are in the big cities moscow st petersburg etc and how the the rural society is um it's it's in that sense very similar to the united states you know where you find a very open liberal minded society in the big cities and then when you go on some of the rural areas it's very close minded and people would never even dare to address some of these issues and it's it's um it's very i find it very difficult to to, to judge um if russian people in general um, really realize what is the stake here, and um what what it means uh for some of these players coming to Russia playing there and um being racially abused every every game um I think that they this kind of awareness isn't just there yet
3: it brings again the question of why why black players uh would choose to go play in russia i mean a, a paycheck is a is a paycheck menu and i and I know some of these clubs are paying very well, but, you know, Emmanuel Frimpong, maybe he didn't know what he was getting into. I mean, certainly his experience is going to get uh, a lot of notoriety now uh, just based on uh, this being the first game of the season, him being sent off, the reaction from the club, which I'll get to in a minute. It, 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 what is the what is the general consensus? Is it just about an opportunity to play at a, at a fairly high level or is there something else here?
4: Well, you know, I was very fortunate, and in, in May I was able to speak to Yaya Chury, mm-hmm. um who played, of course, at Metalur Donetsk um, in Ukraine, where they have very similar issues. And he said that, you know, um, 90% of the people treated him very, very well. Um, he was welcomed with open arms, and. Um you know he was given the opportunity to play European football. He was given the opportunity to prove himself at a at a relatively high level, and he said that well, you know the people were nice and warm and welcoming but it's you know it 's enough that um ten percent of the people if ten percent of the people react this way and react this way quite openly and in a very aggressive manner, that of course is very hurtful um, I think that players are going there. Because they they feel that it's it's a high level where they can prove themselves, and for a lot of players, this is the first time that they get to play in European football. Mm-hmm. And when you play at a club, let's say Moscow or Zenit Saint Petersburg, a uh, clubs that are regularly uh, featured in Champions League football, it's sort of a very good way to present yourself to the larger European market. So I think that's why players are going there, and also I think that one has to remember that. Mm, a large percentage of people in Russia will actually welcome these players with open arms. But then there's also this really frightening part of the society that is very aggressive and very, very racist, um, which is, which is kind of makes it, I think in some points, very difficult for these guys to play there.
3: You know, I'm looking at some tweets, uh, soccer morning, we're retweeting some things here. It looks like Frimpong has been handed a two match suspension for his reaction to this racism. Now, you know, there seems to be a disconnect here, uh, Manuel. Obviously, there are some people who are understanding that this needs to be addressed, that this can't happen. Even if, again, if it's a cynical reason for it, they at least acknowledge that they can't have fans, ultras abusing, um, abusing black players on the field because of, of how it portrays Russian football. And then Russian football goes and hands a player who was racially abused and has an emotional reaction. Now, again, should Emmanuel Frimpong do what he did i mean i think that's up for debate you clearly can't within the laws of the game but to give him an additional additional suspension is is another bad look for russian football
4: yeah you know it's it's so difficult what is the right way to react uh, i remember in italian football they had similar issues where um, a few players walked off and they were suspended afterwards um it's it's such it's such a hard line, right? At On the one hand, you have to um, honor the laws of the game, which could state one that players should not react to any fan abuse. If that is the the, the proper way of handling it, then I I find that very doubtful. Um, I, I'm actually more curious to see what kind of punishments Spartak will be handed uh, in the last few years. Um, The the, the last year, the the RFU has been very tough on on clubs and handing several clubs uh, tough suspensions, um, empty playing, empty stadiums, etc. But yes, of course, uh, handing Emmanuel of Rimpong another two matches is a bit of a slap in the face, isn't it?
3: Yeah, you know, this is from, uh, I'm going to butcher his name and I apologize, Tokay Müller-Tilade, Russian football news editor. He says that uh, Frimpong has been handed a two-match suspension and Spartak has received a fine of 323 euros for throwing objects on the field.
4: Well, yeah, that's, that doesn't seem uh, right. I think if um, if what Emmanuel Frimpong said is correct and Spartak should be punished a lot harsher, uh, I don't think this is going to be the end of it uh, yet because in the past we have seen that Clubs were given a like punishment at first, and then, uh, because of media pressure and pressure from the West, the, the punishments.
3: Well, again, that's, were that's, that's the cynical reaction. Oh, we have yeah. to do it now. Now, again, I, I talk about the disconnect between what, and, and I'm, I'm, re- I'm referring to a piece over at footballgrad.com, which you, everybody should go and read as soon as we're done talking to Manuel. It's, it's a, it's a commentary on the Frimpong incident from Manuel and Sal Pope. And, You have, Saul has some quotes or some, some comments here translated from the, from the Russian, from fans on the story on the websites where this was obviously written up for the press. And, you know, it's a lot of, we need to fix this. This is a problem. Spartak fans are terrible, et cetera, et cetera. It's sort of the right tone that you want to hear. Again, even if it's about 2018 and sanctions, at least it's going in that direction. And the disconnect happens when the Russian football authorities get involved, and I'm not even just including, um, you know, the 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 league bosses or, or the Russian FA. I'm talking about um, I'm talking about uh, club management. In this case, Emmanuel Frimpong's club is uh, Shamil Gazizov. It it was an unfortunate incident. There were people who could have shouted things. There are emotion. These are emotions. These are emotions which go away after the game. We are partners with Spartak and are on good terms. And he, he, what, what, sorry, what Frampog did with, was what Frampog did was wrong. Sometimes you have to hold back the tears and just put up with it. That that's the wrong way to handle this, Manuel.
4: Yeah, I agree, and it is absolutely the wrong way. But you know, the the, the, the club bosses, they are like a fraternity, aren't they? And they're gonna stick together no matter what. And the first the first reaction, and it's quite typical, is to protect yourself um, and not the players which is is absolutely wrong and the way the Russian Football Union has been handling this uh I shouldn't be too surprised because we tried to organize this conference together with them in May and uh all we got was red tape um, so you know it's it's not hugely surprising that this is playing out the way it is but I mean on the other hand um <laughs> Well, it's not really on the other hand. It's just, it's just really unfortunate the way it plays out.
3: Yeah, my friend, uh, my uh, one of our listeners, Washington in New York, is asking about specific rules or laws within uh, the Russian game to address racist behavior on the part of fans. Is there anything specific, or are they only subject to the same laws and rules that uh, that all of UEFA is subject to?
4: They're subject to the same laws and rules that UEFA. Uh, UEFA rules. Yeah. So that's basically, they have whole uh, pamphlets and everything stating that they don't want to see any of this behavior. I mean, saying that is one thing, acting on it is a complete different, different matter, isn't it? So yeah, they are subject to these rules. And I've seen in the past that UEFA then actually went out and punished these clubs uh, subsequently. So as I said, I don't think we've seen the end of this this at all
3: yet yeah i imagine that uefa will have something to say about this but again now we come to uh, the crux of the matter for a lot of these russian fans and it's the issues of of these incidents as they may relate to 2018 and for me manuel it's not just about what happens on the field in 2018 although certainly that's going to be the most highly publicized situation it's also about fans traveling to russia it's about the um the welcoming nature of, of the russian people when the world gathers for a world cup now we we saw at the olympics i, I there were no issues as far as i, I am aware beyond uh, budgetary issues if is there is there a reason to be fearful i mean if if we're talking about uh, if we're talking about African-Americans or or African fans uh, themselves from Nigeria and Ghana. Is there any concern for them traveling to Russia in 2018?
4: I can understand if you were wary to go to Russia 2018. Um, I would totally understand it. But, at the same time, I believe that um Russia will show itself from the best uh best side. They will do whatever it takes to make sure that nothing will happen. so I think it will be safe to go but uh, that's of course um despite the point, isn't it, because these issues are going on now, and the the thing is really is to fix it not just so people can go safely to the World Cup, um, but also to just make sure that these things don't happen anymore, period. Um, that Russian society really is able to clean its act up, not just to show a good face to the West, but just to actually improve as a society in general. And I think that is really the most important
3: aspect. Well, we, we know that's not going to happen in three years' time. So, you know, I, I guess yeah. what we need to see, or what, what the rest of the world will be looking to see here, is again, not just addressing the issues on the field, Although that's step one, and and let's be uh let's be a little bit more heavy-handed with our punishments when it comes to these things, but also some progress in that direction. You know, we 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 understand that, Sepp Blatter's notion of of FIFA is that it uh, can be a a positive force of change in the world, and I guess what we come to then is whether or not this tournament can be a positive force for change in Russia, uh, as it relates to 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 this racial abuse and and sort of the um. Uh, some of the hate that that comes out of certain segments of Russian society.
4: Well, I hope it's gonna, you know, even if it's for the wrong reason, just to basically prove to the rest of the world that they have a friendly, open society, even if it's just for that, if that is all the World Cup legacy is, then that is a huge step forward. But as you said, it's only, it's in three years' time and to clean up something that is so ingrained in in three years, it seems um, almost impossible so I, I think what is going to happen is that there will be this really positive face that we will see from the Russian people. And I, I, as as I said before, 90% of Russian people are completely open, warm, friendly people that do not feel the same way than a lot of these ultras, racist ultras feel, um, and they go to the stadiums. But of course, 10% is enough, right? And these these 10% are so vocal and so so aggressive that they they make it. Difficult for people of color, black people, to go to games right now, and that's that is something that um, that needs that needs to be addressed quite heavily. so, if the World Cup's legacy is just that, that's fantastic. But I just don't think in three years it's going to be enough time to address uh, this issue.
3: Let's uh, let's turn to the to the tr- preparations for 2018 in a more general sense, Manuel. There's obviously. Um, there, there's been some hand wringing over over Russia's uh, getting this tournament. Uh, if it's a positive, uh, if there's a positive result out of it, then I suppose we can all look back and say hey, that was fine. Um, mm-hmm. Certainly, a lot more focus on on Qatar and some of the issues there, and and some of those issues are of more importance than what's going on in Russia. But we have the ra- the specter of racism hanging over Russia, and the specter of of the budget and how much money is is actually being spent on preparations. I guess stadiums matter more than anything else, but, but I, I, I have, I have heard that the plans for hotels and lodging have been scaled way back and that fans might be asked to, to camp out for this tournament. Yeah,
4: this is going to be interesting to follow. Uh, because the, the, the ruble crisis, of course, has made it, has made, it, made it a bit more difficult for Russia to budget this tournament. And, um, you know, the, the reaction was they scaled back a couple of stadiums, um, which FIFA supported, but they also scaled back the budget, which means that, of course, they, they're gonna not do some investments into infrastructure, especially in some of the smaller cities. I think when you go to Moscow or St. Petersburg, it should be fine. Um, it's not gonna be great because Russia is not exactly the, the prime tourism, uh, destination, but, I think it, when you go to the big cities, it should be okay. But yeah, I think it could be it could be really interesting for people traveling to um, to Russia and trying to find find accommodation and trying to find uh, places to stay.
3: You know, one of the uh, one of the issues in Brazil was was transportation was that uh, country's. Um uh, uh, air travel infrastructure. What's uh, obviously Russia's a, a big country. I don't know how spread out the the sites are. I imagine there's some significant difference uh, distances here. I know train travel is a major factor here, but what's what's the outlook for the the amount of of airline traffic that that Russia is likely to get in 2018?
4: I think it's was well, exactly going to be like Brazil because even though the the tournament is taking place mostly in the western part of the country. Uh, the western part of Russia is still enormous. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so people will be, I think there will be a lot of flying. Um, I think that's going to be okay because they're not obviously going to use some of the airlines that they use for normal day-to-day, uh, traffic in Russia. And there's going to be a huge reliance on, on trains. So there is a couple high-speed train lines that are now put in to connect some of the, the host cities. Um, but they had planned to connect them all with high speed train lines, and I don't think that's going to happen now. That's definitely off the table.
3: You know, uh, so much of, of the way that the West views Russia is based on the actions of Vladimir Putin. He is, uh, a large figure in, in all of this. Um, is there, uh, is there a sense that, that this tournament, uh, is part of, um, you know, it, it, I don't know. Does it flow from Putin? Is it, is it more, Extolling his personal virtues as much as it is sort of, hey, here's Russia and, and we're, uh, we're ready to, to host the world?
4: Putin is, um, he's played a major part in getting the tournament in the first place. Um, I think that's a very difficult question. I think on one hand, of course, that this is going to be another Putin show, just as it was at the, the Olympics. But on the other hand, I think that the, that the tournament was rife to go to Russia. Um, they are the largest European country to never have hosted that tournament, a big tournament, period. So I think in that sense, it was, it was, uh, it's not like Qatar where you think, well, we're giving the, the tournament to a country that has 300,000 people. We're giving this, this tournament is going, went to a country that has a long tradition. Um, the tournament in Russia has a, Russia has a long tradition of football, a very long tradition of football. And, um, you know, it was very much overdue to receive a tournament like this. But of course, you run into the danger to to make this tournament a Putin show. Um, that's definitely an aspect that's going to be interesting to watch. Uh,
3: finally, uh, let's um, just uh, in terms of the general health of the Russian Premier League, uh, they instituted that schedule switch. Uh, they they changed their seasons um, partly because of the World Cup, or maybe entirely because of the World Cup, if I remember correctly. And uh, there's clearly, you mentioned the, the crash of the Ruble having an impact on preparations for the 2018 World Cup. How has that impacted the league? And how has it impacted the bigger clubs? And certainly, what is the outlook for the Russian Premier League within greater the the greater um, environment of UEFA in the future?
4: Well, what I think is interesting is that the, um, a lot of the very big clubs, um, the big clubs like Spartak at CSKA, are Locomotive. They were impacted by the ruble crisis not because they, that meant financial difficulties for them, but because it actually meant that they were no longer able to justify their large budgets towards uh, financial fair play. So that meant that some of these clubs had to scale back a bit. And Dynamo, uh, Dynamo Moscow, for example, they were punished by UEFA, uh, banned from from playing in the Europa League. Because uh, not because they had a large debt, but because the UEFA didn't didn't quite understand how they could have such a large budget and how how does this money how it flowed into the club. Um, It was quite um, there was a huge transparency issue here about the the league switching over. um, I think large part of that wasn't just for the World Cup; it was also so that Russian clubs could be more competitive playing playing in uh, Champions League and Europa League. Uh, which is of course it didn't really help that much because they still have this massive winter break because it's just too cold to play in Russia after November. It's just impossible. And really it's also impossible to play in Russia before, uh, February. Even February is very tough. So you can't really play until March. So you still have that long winter break. Um, but the idea was that to make clubs more competitive in European football. And I think they still suffer. Uh, not because today then it's not a competitive league because it's a highly competitive league. It's a fantastic league to watch if you just want to watch good football. It's a great, great place to watch. But it's because the the winter break is really kind of uh, making it very tough for clubs to compete, you know, in that first round of the Champions League, the first round of the Europa League. That is quite early on in February usually.
3: All right, last thing here, a question from uh, our friend Mark on Twitter. He wants to know how closely the media is following the FIFA scandal. I know that there've been. Some statements, I believe, from Putin himself, uh, outlining that the United States has overstepped their bounds. So clearly there's an antagonistic response to all of this.
4: I, I, I thought the the response by Russia was so interesting on, on the, the, the FIFA scandal, because I personally didn't think that, uh, that it was ever in doubt that Russia would keep this tournament. Uh, but yet, the way Putin and the way the politicians in Russia reacted was such was such a symbol for Russia today because the reaction right away was of course oh it's the West coming out to get us and trying to take uh, the tournament away from us and uh, completely overreacted almost in fear uh, thinking that this is going to be, the tournament is going to be gone and hanging on to Blatter as much as they could um, I thought it was really interesting watching this because uh, in my mind I don't think uh, Russia 2018 is going to be put in doubt simply because it's too close to to kick off so I don't think uh, they really had anything to worry about but the fact that they reacted this way was was just fascinating because it was the same reaction that they would show to any kind of other political matter that, um, any kind of other criticism towards Russia, so it's kind of it was kind of like a mirror to what's going on in geopolitics in general.
3: Yeah, I, I think you're right. I don't think there's any chance Russia loses this tournament, and uh, that's interesting in light of of, of the racism issues and uh, certainly the, the fan response. So there's got to be there, there's some uh, <clears throat> you know there's some paranoia on the part of of, of Russian football in general, and that's uh, we'll see how that end up, ends up playing out. I'm running out of time. Manuel Vett from footballgrad.com. Make sure you follow him on Twitter. It's homo sovieticus. He's, a, he's fat, a fantastic follow for Things Russian Football. And obviously, as we get closer to 2018, he's a must follow. Thank you very much for your time, Manuel. I appreciate it. It was fantastic.
4: Thank you for having me. Let's
3: take a break. When we come back, we'll open up the phone lines and talk to you on a Wednesday. USA, Jamaica tonight. What do you make of that? Don't go anywhere. Soccer Morning, worldsoccertalk.com. This Saturday, Barcelona and Manchester United will play in front of a sold-out stadium of 68,000 fans in California. For those of you who, like me, won't be at the game, it'll be live on television. But for a different experience, I'd like to encourage you to watch the game on TV and then listen to me live on Rabble.tv at the same time. With Rabble.tv, here's how it works. After you tune into the broadcast on TV, press the mute button and then head on over to Rabble.tv to listen to me sharing my opinions and observations. With Rabble, you can listen to my broadcast on your desktop, through your iOS app, and now through your mobile browser. So far this summer, over 3,200 of you have listened to me on Rabblecast. If you haven't checked them out yet, this Saturday would be an ideal opportunity. Plus, you can join in, too, by posting your questions and observations in the comments section. With two of the biggest clubs in the world battling it out in Santa Clara, who will get the win? Find out this Saturday, July 25th at 4 p.m. Eastern with me on Rabble.tv.
2: To Soccer morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis.
3: Here we are back on Soccer Morning on a Wednesday, game day, United States men's national team, Jamaica. How excited are you? I almost put on my Bomb Pop shirt today, and I chose not to, and I don't know why. And I hope I don't jinx the national team. I should have I should have probably worn it. Instead, I wore my baller blazer shirt, which, while it's a fantastic shirt, and you should go get one at backhill.com slash store, doesn't actually represent the United States in a positive way because as we know, Mr. Blazer was operating alongside U.S. soccer for a very long time, doing his dirty deeds, and nobody called him on it, and uh, yeah. if we, By the way, if we have to take up that mantle, hell yes, I'll do that. Now, they dragged Dan Flynn in front of a Senate subcommittee. They asked for Sino Galati to show up, and he didn't. And we, we called out U.S. soccer on those issues on this show. I don't want it to go away. It can't go away. Chuck Blazer, again, was doing his thing in the United States for 25 years. And nobody stood up and said, hey, wait a second. That guy's doing some stuff. No, they said, we we can't mess with the system. Got to work within the system, even if the system is Chuck and Jack and everybody doing their dirty. By the way, did you see this? Did you see what Jeffrey Webb used as Bond? Trevor, did you see this story? This is amazing. Jeffrey Webb, in order to secure his $10 million bond after he was extradited from Switzerland to the United States, he used a 2015 Ferrari, a 2014 Range Rover, a 2003 Mercedes-Benz, a $401,000 account in his wife's name, his his wife's diamond wedding ring, A 401k, his wife holds. 11 watches. 11 luxury watches. Now, where did Jeffrey Webb, the president of the Cayman Islands Football Association and subsequently CONCACAF president, because we know how the Caribbean does when it comes to voting in their people, Where did he get 11 Hublot watches? Hublot? How do you say that? I always read it. I've never actually said it. Because I've never had one. Oh, Cartier Roadster, Breitling, Royal Oak Offshore, Luminor Marina. These sound like expensive things. Five Rolexes. I know how that works. Where the hell did he get all this? Oh, wait a second. I know where he got it. You know where he got it. The world knows where he got it. And like I said, whether they did anything wrong or not, directly themselves, U.S. soccer was party to all of it by standing there and letting it happen. Good Lord. Anyway, I really didn't intend to go in that direction. Take your phone calls, 646-832-3909. What do you expect from the United States tonight against Jamaica? What are you afraid of? What do you think the United States needs to do to win this game? Make the world, I'm sorry, make the gold cup final and have a chance to win back to back tournaments. Are you worried at all? What kind of lineup do you want to see from the United States and Jurgen Klinsman? Because they crushed Cuba. Cuba is not a measuring stick of anything. Excuse me. Beating Cuba 6 0 means very little as it relates to beating a quality team like Jamaica. Now, at least they didn't have to go 120 minutes, like Mexico did. Now, Panama did, too, so that game game could be pretty slow in Atlanta. I know they're playing indoors, but travel, apparently, a big problem. Travel for both Panama and Mexico, both of those teams, very upset about travel. Very, very upset about the travel. Damn travel. Uh, let's go back just quickly. Um, the issues of, of the racism in Russian football. The continuing efforts to address those issues. Make sure you read, seriously, the piece by Saul Pope and Manuel Vett at, uh, footballgrad.com. F U T B O L G R A D dot com. That's the uh, Russian football website that they run. It's a fantastic website. Gives you insight into what's going on here. Manuel talks about that event that he hosted. In Russia on these issues with the Fair Network in Moscow. There is, uh, those translated comments I mentioned from various websites after the Frimpong incident. And I also would highly suggest you go read Maridi Marungi at fusion.net, the soccer gods website. The soccer world continues to condone Russia's racism, which he posted yesterday. Cause this is not going to go away. And what we need to do as a soccer viewing public is make sure it doesn't go away. Yes, yeah, sure, we should talk about Qatar. We should talk about those continuing issues of the labor force there and the fact that it's 120 degrees in the summer and the fact that uh, you know you know they're creating a city out of nothing to host the World Cup and they're spending all this money on stadiums. They have 300,000 people in the entire country and you can't drink there and all of those things. Mainly the labor stuff. Mainly the indentured servitude. Mainly the kafala system. People dying, maybe that. But at the, at the same time, we should not forget about the issues in Russia. They may not be directly about people dying, but they absolutely are egregious and need to be talked about. The more pressure that's placed on Russia, the more likely they are to respond with some actual steps. And again, this morning, word is, Emmanuel Frimpong has been given a two-game suspension, and the Spartak fans, or the Spartak, the, 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 Spartak, the club, has been fined, uh, roughly 300 euros for their fans throwing stuff on the field. No mention of racism at all in their pun in the statement about their punishment. Tell me that's not a ridiculous set of circumstances. Six four six eight three two three nine zero nine is your phone number. Jump in here. Talk to me about the U.S. men's national team. Talk to me about what you see out of Jamaica tonight. Talk to me about Mexico. Talk to me about how you think Mexico will do against a better squad in Panama, maybe not better than Costa Rica on paper, but certainly they've played better in this tournament. They've been more competitive in this tournament. They will give Mexico a challenge. I think all of the talking before the match means very little. Giovanni Dos Santos ruled out, by the way. Although you wonder if that's really an issue for Mexico, the way that they've been playing. Does he really make a difference? He's a bit of a luxury player at this point, almost. Meanwhile, by the way, his brother has been really, really good in the middle of midfield. As for the United States, Clint Dempsey leading the charge. He is the guy pulling them along. I imagine Aaron Johansson is the starter alongside him. They played well enough against Cuba that that should be your striker pairing. If only because you haven't seen a lot of it out of anybody else. I expect Giassi's Artist to start midfield. Because if you have two strikers already outlined, and again, I guess you can move, I guess you can move Dempsey around. Move him and drop him into midfield and start Giassi's Artist alongside Aaron Johansson. And now you've got Dempsey in the hole, but now you've got to cover that space and you've got to create some defensive stability. Can you play Bradley and Beckerman in a game where you have Dempsey in the hole? 4-2-3, nope, can't do that you have to play a four-man back line. You don't want to get overrun in midfield. You certainly don't want Jamaica to be able to bypass your midfield quickly. You're going to have to clog some of those lanes. You're going to have to get people in the way of Jamaica. Ray Orozco on Twitter has got the United States winning 3-1, big game from Dempsey and Bradley. Those are the two guys you want to step up. Those are the two guys you need to see step up. Cut Dempsey's done that. He's leading the tournament in goals. Now, I know three of them came against Jamaica. I'm sorry, well, Cuba. Three of them came against Cuba, but he's still. He's leading the tournament in goals. He's playing well. Michael Bradley, just a little bit up and down, but solid. This is what I think you desperately need in a game that matters against a quality opponent, game you have to win. Clint Dempsey up top. Michael Bradley in the midfield. Probably, preferably not in the hole, playing a little bit deeper. Kyle Beckerman behind him. We know, we, we know they're going to start, uh, Klinsman will start Brad Guzan in goal. Beyond that, what else do you want to see? I, I think Alejandro Bedoya gives you the best chance to win, to, uh, to win. I don't know if Giassi's artist is defensively strong enough, but he's got the speed to keep up with the Jamaicans up and down the flank. You play, uh, Fabian Johnson behind him, or I suppose, now that you got Demarcus Beasley, you play Demarcus Beasley behind him. There's plenty of quicks there left in Demarcus' legs. Then you on the other side, there, there you put Fabian Johnson at right back. Soar up that side of the, of the field. But Doya and Johnson together at, 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 on the right side actually sounds pretty damn good to me. Now, what do you play in the middle? You're gonna go with Omar Gonzalez, not the fleetest of foot, but can win everything in the air. How much do you expect to make it actually play the ball in the air? They're going to go with the youngsters, Ventura Alvarado, who has been extremely shaky throughout this tournament. And obviously you got John Brooks. Do you expect Klinsman to go with Alvarado and Brooks, and how much does that scare you? Nobody's got any thought. You guys are all just locked up, fearful of this match right now. Six four six eight three two thirty nine oh nine. Or maybe you're taking in all of that serious, important information we just got out of Manuel Vett which was fantastic stuff, by the way. He's great on the air. It's great on this show. And we'll continue to watch that story. A Gold Cup final, Mexico, United States, and Philadelphia is what we all sort of expected. I mean, you could have thrown in a wrinkle or two, but I think most people would have said it'll be the USA and Mexico in the final on July 26th in Philadelphia. It's just a matter of how we get there. And I was reading this morning a piece over at ESPN FC in which Jeff Carlisle, noted American soccer writer, and our friend Tom Marshall, Mexico World Cup on Twitter, sort of, they they took stock of of their respective beats at this point. Carlisle looked into the United States and, and considered where they are while Tom Marshall looked at Mexico. And the bottom line is, are they good enough to win right now? Can you see them winning this tournament? And to be honest with you, both of them have serious questions. And I think tonight will tell us something about who the favorite's going to be, clearly. You have to enjoy Jamaica coach Winfred Schaefer pulling out the underdog card. I mean, the hardcore underdog card saying that this is David versus Goliath. It feels like David versus Goliath. That's fine with us. We'll try to hit the giant where it hurts most. Are th- is it really that big of a gap? I mean, I look, I don't think anybody thinks Jamaica's on the U.S. level, generally speaking, but in this tournament, the way things have gone, I don't know. Jamaican forward Michael Seaton, a D.C. United player, We're feeling good on and off the pitch, and that brings a confidence to our team. Then Michael Bradley said, we know Jamaica well. They have a unique blend of organization and discipline and also athleticism. So the United States doesn't sound like they're taking Jamaica for granted, that they're just going to walk this game. But let me tell you something. The way that they've come out in this tournament, aside from the Cuba match, they can't afford to be going down a goal in the first 15, 20 minutes. They have to keep, they have to come out with the more, the, the higher intensity level. Cause that's what, that's one of the criticisms you, whatever you make of Klinsman and his tactics and where he's pushing this program, one thing you can certainly criticize him for is the lack of intensity out of his team when that first whistle blows. That hasn't been very good. Not in the group stage. Cuba was a pushover. Cuba, we throw out. So considering that, you need to see something better out of them in the first 15 or 20 minutes. You need to see them with their foot on the gas. Now, that doesn't mean that we'll want them to bunker if they score and sit back and wait for Jamaica to try to break them down, even if that's a a reasonable tactic. What you need to see is a goal in the first 15 or 20 and the United States continue to push, put pressure on Jamaica, put pressure on the ball, make them play slower, make them play uh sideways, for lack of a better way of saying it. Albert now L.A., you're on the air. Hello, Albert. No? Hello, Jason? Yes, you're on the air. What's up?
2: Hey, this, uh, this is Robert from L.A., not <laughs> Albert. <laughs>
3: Trevor's typing too fast. Robert, yes, of course it is. Hi, Robert.
2: Okay, hey, Jason. Uh, real, uh, real fast about the Jamaica uh, U.S. This I don't think this is a David versus Goliath because this is a team that beat us in uh, you know two years ago in World Cup qualification. So it's going to be a very, very uh, I want to say one. It's going to be very evenly matched and very hard to win but I believe the U.S. will win.
3: Okay. Um. I think that uh they look again don't, under, uh, don't uh, underestimate don't underestimate major makeup man for man the United States is a better team they should have they should have not, maybe not a home field advantage certainly in, in Atlanta necessarily but they'll have they, they should be more comfortable in those environments I I don't know by the way this is the first time that US has played in Atlanta in, since 1977 that's pretty amazing uh, so you what's what's the score line robert
2: I see
3: 2-1 all right, two one United States. You don't, don't think they can keep a clean sheet, but perhaps they get two on the other end. Uh, Dempsey and let's say Dempsey and uh, and Zardes to score, right? That sounds that sounds good, right? Yeah, well,
2: yeah, Zardes, yeah, I like
3: Zardes. Okay. keep my boy there. <laughs> By the way, uh, what'd, hey, you, hey, but, what'd you make of yeah. that? What'd you make of that game last night? Because especially the second half, which what? was way more interesting.
2: Well, yeah, but as you can see, when you make like wholesale changes in the second half, both teams make it. It's going to be a very, very different flow of the game.
3: Of course, of course. But ninety-two thousand out to see that game. Clearly, Mar- Barcelona's the draw. But you know, you, you put you put those kids: Ariel Lasseter, Bradford Jameson the fourth, some of those other kids. I'm forgetting the. Um, uh, for- I forget the other forward you guys have that you've been using recently. Who started the game actually? Um, maybe in midfield, you know, when you put them out there and you say, here's a giant crowd who's there for Barcelona, you're playing against some of the best players in the world. You're playing against one of the best clubs in the world. I thought they, I thought they showed a lack of fear that was encouraging. And, and honestly, the, the sense I I got Robert, when I went to bed last night, the sense the thing I was thinking about is LA is spending money on Gerard, Dos Santos. They've got keen. They've got Zardes locked up. They've got Omar Gonzalez. They, they've got this talent level. And they've got these kids coming through, i mean we, what i i I don't know who's going to be able to compete with with l a They're not going to win every title, but over the next ten years, I could see them winning four or five
2: yeah, they'll you know, they'll be up there in uh every year with like championship tournaments session with a uh, you know sports shield cup uh hopefully in champions league hope, hopefully uh about that also it was way better than last year's uh eight no rubbing from
3: Manchester United. Yeah. All right, Rob. I mean,
2: there's
3: that. I got to run, man. Appreciate the call. There goes Robert in L.A. little delay on his end. Apologize for that. Eddie in Brooklyn. What's up, man?
1: Hey, what's up? Um, So this whole David Goliath thing, um, can't let... You guys get away with this? It is one hundred percent David versus Goliath.
3: <laughs> all right, all it's, right, it's, hey, all right. Calm down.
1: <laughs> as long as long as this Gold Cup continues to be the shambolic tournament that it has always been, it will always be David versus Goliath. You're right. playing USA or Mexico. Okay, furious.
3: Shambolic tournament. It, it, look, it certainly has its issues. This tournament, we 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 know it does. Uh, <laughs> there's no doubt about that. And yeah, it the the, the damn thing is lined up. For USA or Mexico to win it pretty much every year, and every two years, and you consider that, hey, you know Mexico is gonna get calls like they got. Now I, I haven't had you on the show since that happened. What 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 was Eddie in Brooklyn's house like? And I, what, what let me remember correctly, your wife is is Mexican. Mm-hmm. Okay, so yeah, what, um... what was your house like <laughs> when Arriva Peralta goes down under the Roy Miller, whatever that was.
1: See, my wife is smart. She saw how I was all the entire game, and how my father was the entire game, and even my son who is rooting for Costa Rica. And when that happened, she knew, you know what? <laughs> don't celebrate this. <laughs> <laughs> just don't because she knew how wrong it was. She said she, you know, she didn't want to accept it because we had our own bets and we just called it a draw because it was just absolute robbery. And you know, she she's smarter than that.
3: You know, it's uh, I, I I wonder though, like, are you the type? There have been times, I mean, if that, if that happened to my team, and certainly the United States has had their fair share of rough calls, I, I can get angry. I mean, when I was 21, 22, I let that simmer for days. I imagine that's not you now, especially with the family and the wife, but it's gotta make you mad. Like, you gotta have gone to better angry that night.
1: No, actually, surprisingly, my, my friends were angrier for me, like my American friends. They, they were angrier for, I, I let it go after, after the final whistle, because I just looked at my father and everybody who knows me, everybody who follows me knows how I feel about Gold Cup and how I've always maintained that it's nothing more than Concacaf's biannual attempts to ensure that either Mexico or the U.S. go to the Confederations Cup. I've always maintained that. Okay. And I kind of felt like that validated everything I ever said about this. Like again, I called it a Shambolic tournament for a reason. So I looked at my dad. I said, are you surprised? Did you expect anything else? It wasn't, dis- it wasn't disgraceful. It wasn't, um, it wasn't robbery really. It was inevitable. It because was, it, this it, Gold
3: cup. Yeah, it was it, ultimately it was par for the course, right? Basically. That's rough. That's rough. what else you got to share today, Eddie? Not much.
1: I the ironic part is that I have to analyze the rest of this damn tournament and I have to analyze US and Mexico specifically. So it's kinda like my manager's just rubbing it in on me a little bit, but that's <laughs> what it is what it is, man. I just I, I just want to see if against all eyes Mexico and the U.S. to make the final. The magic of the Gold
3: Cup. <laughs> such good sarcasm, Eddie. Appreciate the comment. I'm out. All All right, six four six eight three two three nine zero nine. Last call for phone calls. It's been a weird morning. Trevor's had some interesting uh, things happen on the uh, on on the line. Um, we'll see exactly what happens tonight in the Gold Cup semifinals. It's uh it's the United States and Costa Rica. I'm sorry, it's the United States and Mexico going to try to get into the to the final again, as Eddie said, maybe the whole thing set up to do that. It, it certainly seems that way sometimes. The, um, the referees are not on, are on their side. The fans are on their side for the most part. The travel is no, none too kind to smaller nations. It, it, I guess it is David and Goliath. I guess it is. Jamaica is David. They're going to be trying to sling that rock and it's up to the United States not to let it hit him in the forehead and knock him down or wherever, wherever that rock hit him. Wherever that, that that thing hit him. All right, things have slowed down here. Excellent show. Thank you very much, to Manuel Vett. Go read his stuff at footballgrad.com. Not just the stuff about racism in Russia, also the stuff about Russian football in general. There's some very good insight over there um, on uh, on the growth of that league, the continuing development of that league. They are under the uh, they are under pressure because of the dropping ruble. Uh, Vladimir Putin obviously is a major figure in this World Cup. Uh, saga. So he's, uh, he's the, the, uh, the work done at footballgrad.com will give you some insight into all of these, uh, various issues. i'm um, just checking out Twitter here. Apparently I'm being called the Paul Feinbaum, of, Feinbaum of soccer, which is a very scary thing. Uh, indeed, I don't think I am. I hope I never become that, but, uh, you know, these things happen. All right. Thank you very much for listening, guys. Go to backhill.com store to buy yourself a soccer morning mug. They're, uh, they're lovely. I've got one right here. As a matter of fact, it's quite the thing. And you can go to backfield.com slash store to buy a t-shirt. This one is real cool. It's the baller blazer t-shirt. And that's it. I think we're out on a Wednesday. Go USA. I guess go Mexico. Cause that'll be the, f- the most fun final. And, uh, yeah, we'll see you tomorrow. We'll deal with the aftermath then.
0: Later, tell me why the hell no one is here. Tell me what to do to make it all feel better. Maybe it's
1: Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince.